I drink your milkshake. You are listening to the Billionaire Podcast Network. snug the minstrel's tale at an end merry noise arose once more loud and clear the sound of revelry upon the seats the cupbearers gave out wine from vessels wondrous wrought now came wheelthiow forth and wearing many a gold ring she went to where those proud men sat both uncle and brother's son Still was their kinship's love between them, and each to the other true. There too unfurth the king's sage sat at the feet of the Scalding's lord. Each man among them trusted in his mind's temper that he had a mighty heart, albeit he had not in the play of swords dealt mercy to his kin. Then spake the lady of the Scaldings, Receive now this cup, dear lord of mine, giver of rich gifts. In happy hour be thou from whom men get love and gifts of gold, and to the Geats speak with kindly words, as behoves a man. To the Geats be gracious, and forget not to give of those things that now thou hast gathered from near and afar. I have heard men say that thou wert in mind to take this warrior for thy son. Lo! Hirat is cleansed, this shining hall where rings are dealt, Dispose while yet thou mayest of many a reward, and to thy kin after thee leave thy people in thy realm, when thou must go forth to look upon thy fate. Rothulf, I know well, my nephew fair, that he will in honor cherish these our youths. If thou, dear master of the Scaldings, scoot sooner than he do leave this world, Methinks that he will with good repay our sons, if he recalleth all those deeds of grace that we did unto him, to his pleasure and his honor, while yet he was a child. Then turned she to the seat where sat her sons, Rethric and Rothmund, and the children of mighty men, young warriors all, were gathered together. There beside those brethren twain, that brave heart sat Beowulf of the Geats. To him was the cup born, 
and friendship offered in fair words. And the twisted gold was brought forth with all goodwill, two armlets, a mantle, and rings, and the mightiest of torques that I have heard was ever upon the neck of man on earth. Beneath the light of day I heard never men tell of any better treasure in the hordes of the mighty, since Hama bore away to the bright city the necklace of the brossings, jewel and precious vessel. He fled from the ensnaring hate of Irminric and chose the counsels of the eternal faith. This circlet, Higlak, king of the Geats, of the blood of Swerting, had with him on that last day when beneath his standard he defended his treasures and fought for the spoil of battle. Fate took him, for that he and his pride had challenged his own ruin and the enmity of the Frisian folk. This fair thing of precious stones he bore now over the bowl of the seas, a king in his might. Beneath his shield he fell. Thus into the grasp of the Frank came now the life of the king. The armor upon his breast and that necklet too. And warriors, albeit of less prowess in arms, there stripped the slain when the blows of battle were done. The people of the Geats were left upon the field of slain. The hall was filled with clamor. These words did Wiltiao utter before all that host she spake. Have and use well to thy good this precious thing, Beowulf, young and dear, and for thine own joy take this mantle, a thing treasured among this people, and prosper well. Show forth thyself in valor, and to these my sons be thou gracious in thy counsels, for that my heart will remember to reward thee. Thou hast achieved that far and near all the ages long shall men esteem thee, as wide as the sea encircleth the windy walls of the land. Be thou blessed, O prince, while thy life endures a wealth of precious things, I wish thee with good heart. Be thou to my sons kindly in deeds, possessing days of mirth. In this place is each good man to his fellow true, Friendly in heart, loyal unto his liege lord, of one mind the servants of the king, the people all ready to his will, his warriors filled with wine. Do thou as I bid. She went then to her seat. There was the very choice of banquets. There men drank their wine. Fate they knew not grim, appointed of old. As it had already gone, as it had gone already forth for many of those good men, so soon as evening came, and Rothgar the mighty departed to his lodging and to his couch. The hall was guarded by a host of men uncounted, even as it was oft before. They stripped the benches of wooden board, and all along the hall were beds and pillows spread. Over those who had there drunk the ale fate hung now nigh at hand as they laid them upon their couches on the floor. At their heads they set their warlike shields, targes fashioned of wood and blazoned bright. There upon each bench was plain to see above each knight the helm that he had borne aloft in battle, and his coat of ringed mail, his spear valiant in the press of war. 
Their manner was it that seldom were they unprepared for the onslaught, be it at home or amid the host, or in either case, even at all such times as upon their liege lord need should come, a worthy company was that. Now they sank into sleep. One there was who paid grievously for his rest that eve, even as full oft had befallen them, in time when Grendel had dwelt in that golden hall and wrought evil there, even until his end came and death after his deeds of wrong. Plain was it made and published abroad among men that an avenger to succeed their foe lived yet long while after that woeful strife. Grendel's mother, Ogris, fierce destroyer in the form of woman, Misery was in her heart, she who must abide in the dreadful waters and the cold streams since Cain with the sword became the slayer of his only brother, his kinsman by his father's blood. Thereafter he departed an outlaw branded with murder, shunning the mirth of men, abiding in the wilderness. From thence sprang many creatures doomed of old, of whom was Grendel one, outlawed by hate, as is the deadly wolf, who at Hirorot had found one who unsleeping awaited battle. There had the fierce slayer seized upon him, but he remembered the night of his valor, that gift which God had bounteously bestowed upon him, and he trusted in the one God for mercy, for succor, and for aid. Therewith did he vanish that fiend and brought low the creature of hell. Wherefore that enemy of man departed humbled, robbed of his triumph, to look upon his house of death. And now once more his mother grim-hearted, ravenous, was minded to go upon a journey full of woe to avenge the slaying of her son. Now was she come to Hirorot, where the ring dane slept along the hall. There suddenly now old ills returned upon those knights, when into their midst crept Grendel's mother. Less indeed was the terror, even by so much as is the might of women, the terror of a woman in battle compared with armed man, when the sword with wire-bound hilt, hammer forged, its blade stained with dripping blood, trusty of edge, cleaves the opposing boar crest high upon the helm. Lo! In the hall along the benches, stout-edged swords were drawn. Many a tall shield was gripped in hand and held aloft. Of his helm no man bethought him, nor of long corslet when that horror came upon him. She was in haste. Out and away she would be gone for the saving of her life, now that she was discovered. Swift and close had she clutched one of those noble knights as she departed to the fin. He was unto Rothgar of all his men of might, holding high place in his court, the one most dear, the two seas between. Proudly had he borne his shield in battle, whom now she rent upon his bed, a man established and renowned. Not there was Beowulf, but to that glorious Gidish knight had other lodging been assigned after the giving of gifts. Clamor arose in Hirorot. Under the covering of under the covering dark she took the arm she knew so well, 
grief was renewed and was come again to those dwelling places. An evil barter was that, wherein they must on either side exchange the lives of men beloved. Now was that king aged in wisdom, warrior gray of hair, in mournful mood, knowing that his princely servant lived no more, and that most beloved of his men was dead. Swiftly was Beowulf, that warrior whom victory had blessed, summoned to the king's chamber. With the break of day he went, a noble champion with his good men about him, himself and his companions, to where that wise king abode, pondering whether haply the almighty God will ever after these grievous tidings bring some betterment to pass. Now strode across the floor that man well tried in arms amid his retinue, the timbers of the hall echoed, and there he addressed in speech the wise lord of the friends of Ing, asking if he had known response according to his desire. Rothgar made answer, the guardian of the Skyldings, Ask not for news of happy hours. Sorrow is come anew upon the people of the Danes. Dead is Aeshir, the elder brother of Irminloth. My counsels were his and his wisdom mine. At my right hand he stood when on fatal field we fended our lives as the ranks clashed in battle and the boar crests rang. Such should a good man be of noble birth long tried in deeds, even as was Aeshir. In Hirorot has death come upon him at the hands of a wandering murderous thing. I know not whither she hath turned her backward steps as dreadfully she gloats over her prey, exulting in her belly's fill. That deed of war she hath avenged, that last night thou didst slay in violent wise Grindel with thy grip gripings hard for that he too long had minished and destroyed my folk. He fell in battle, forfeiting his life, and now another hath come, a mighty doer of cruel wrong. She purposed to avenge her kin, and indeed hath carried far the feud, as may well seem to many a knight who mourns in his heart for him that gave him bounty, a heart-piercing grief and bitter. Now lieth still that hand that aforetime availed to accomplish for you, O knights, all things of your desire. This have I heard dwellers in the land, lieges of mine, vassals in their halls recount telling how they saw two such mighty stalkers of the outer places who kept the moors alien creatures of these was one in so far as they might clear discern a shape as of a woman the other miscreated thing in man's form trod the ways of exile albeit he was greater than any other human thing him in days of old the dwellers on earth named Grendel, of a father they knew not, nor whether any such was ever before begotten for him among the demons of the dark. In a hidden land they dwell upon highlands, wolf-haunted, and windy cliffs, and the perilous passes of the fins, where the mountain stream goes down beneath the shadows of the cliffs,
a river beneath the earth. It is not far hence in measurement of miles that their mere that that mere lies over which there hang rimy thickets, and a wood clinging by its roots overshadows the water. There may each night be seen a wonder grim fire upon fl the flood. There lives not of the children of men one so wise that he should know the depth of it. Even though harried by the hounds, the ranger of the heath, the heart strong in his horns, may seek that wood being hunted from afar. <clears throat> Sooner will he yield his life and breathe in breath upon the shore than he will enter to hide his head therein. No pleasant place is that. Thence doth the tumult of the waves arise darkly to the clouds, when wind arouses tempests foul until the airs are murky and the heavens weep. Now once more doth hope of help depend on thee alone. The abode is yet thou knowest not, nor the perilous place where thou canst find that creature stained with sin. Seek it if thou durst, for that assault I will with riches reward thee, with old and precious things, even as I did ere now, yea, with twisted gold, if thou comest safe away. Beowulf made answer, the son of Ecthiel, Grieve not, O wise one. Better it is for every man that he should avenge his friend than he should much lament. To each one of us shall come in time the end of life in the world. Let him who may earn glory ere his death. No better thing can brave knight leave behind when he lies dead. Arise, O lord of this realm. Swiftly let us go and look upon the footprint of Grendel's kin. This I vow to thee. In no refuge shall he ever hide, neither in bosom of earth nor in mountain forest, nor in the deeps of the sea go where he will. For this day have patience in every woe, even as I know thou wilt. Then did the aged king leap up, and God, the mighty Lord, he thanked for that other's words. Now a horse was bridled for Rothgar, a steed with plated mane, and forth the wise prince went in seemly array. And forth the wise prince went with seemly array, Forth went the company of his warriors bearing shields. Far over the paths across the, the wolds, the print of her feet. Her course over the lands was plain to see, as straight on she strode over the darkling moor, bearing the best of knights who by Rothgar's side had ruled his house, a lifeless course. And now those men of noble race, steep stony slopes they overpassed, narrow tracks and one-man paths, down unfamiliar trails, past headlong crags, and many a house of demons of the deep. One with a few men of hunting craft went on before to spy the land, until on a sudden he came upon the mountain trees, leaning o'er the horror rock, a joyless forest. Blood-stained and troubled water loomed beneath. To all the Danes, vassals of the scalding lords, to the hearts of many a knight, 
grievous was it endure in pain to all good men when there upon the cliff above the deep they found the head of a shear the water surged with gore with blood yet hot the people gazed thereon ever and anon the horn cried an eager call unto the host there set them down the ranks of men now they saw about the water many of the serpent's kind strange dragons of the sea ranging the flood and demons of the deep lying upon the jutting slopes even such as in the middle hours watch for those journeying anxious upon the sailing paths serpents and beasts untamed back they dived filled with wrath and hate they had heard the clangor of the war horn's brain one the Gitish chief with an arrow from his bow bereft of life and his labor in the waves that in his vitals stood the hard and deadly dart therefore less swift to swim in the deeps was he for death took him straightway amid the waves with boar spears cruelly barbed sorely was he pressed and grievously assailed and dragged upon the jutting cliff monstrous upheaver of the waves men there gazed upon this strange and terrible thing in warrior's harness beowulf clad him no whit wrecked he of his life now must his long corslet woven for battle by the hands of smiths and cunningly adorned make trial of the flood raiment skilled to guard his body's frame that the grappling of war and the fell clutch of angry foe should not harm his life but his head the white helm guarded that now must stir the deep places of the mere searching out the eddying floods adorned with gold and clasped with rich chains even as in days of old a weaponsmith had wrought it marvelously fashioning it setting thereon images of the boar so that thereafter never blade nor swords of strife might cleave it nor yet was that thing to be misprized among his mighty aids which to him in his need hrothgar's sage had lent hrunting was the name of that hafted blade preeminent among old and precious things was that of iron was the blade stained with a device of branching venom made hard in the blood of battle never had it in warfare betrayed any man of those that had wielded it with hands who had dared to achieve adventures perilous upon battlefields against their foes this was not the first time that it was required to accomplish valorous deeds verily the son of Edclaf, mighty of valor remembered not that which he had before spoken being filled with wine when he lent that weapon to a swordsman worthier than was he he durst not himself beneath the warring waves adventure his life and deeds of prowess perform there he forfeited glory for heroic deeds not so that other who now had arrayed him for battle beowulf spake the son of egtheow forget not o thou the son renowned of helfdene wise prince from whom men get love and gifts of gold now that i haste to mine adventure that which was aforetime spoken between us if i should as at thy need lay down my life 
that thou wouldst ever be to me when I was gone in father's stead. Be thou protector of the knights that follow me, the companions at my side, if battle take me, and send thou to those precious gifts that thou hast given me, beloved Rothgar unto Higelac. Then by that gold may the son of Rethel, lord of the Geats, when he gazeth upon that treasure, perceive and understand that, finding a giver of rings, a lord endowed with generous virtue, I earned his bounty while I might, and let unfirth that man of wide renown receive back his olden heirloom, his sword cunningly adorned with flowing lines and heart of edge. For myself glory will I earn with hunting, or death shall take me. After these words, the prince of the wind-loving Geats hastened dauntless forth, for no answer would he wait. The surging sea engulfed that warrior bold. Thereafter a long hour of the day, it was ere he could de descry the level floor. Straightway that creature that with cruel lust, ravenous and grim, had a hundred seasons held the watery realm, perceived that there from on high some man was come to espy the dwelling of inhuman things. She clutched then at him, seized in her dire claws the warrior bold. No whit the sooner did she hurt his body unharmed within. The ringmail fended about him. The ringmail fended him about that she might not pierce with cruel fingers the supple linked shirt that clad him in the fray. Then that she-wolf of the waves to the sea-bottom coming bore the mail-clad prince unto her abode. Even so, in no wise, could he wield his weapons. Wroth was he thereat. So many a monster strange beset him sorely as they swam and many a beast of the sea with fell tusks at his hauberk tore, fierce destroyers pressed upon him. Now then the good man perceived that he was in some abysmal hall, he knew not what, wherein no water did him any hurt, nor might the sudden onrush of the flood touch him by reason of the vaulted chamber. A light as of fire he saw with gleaming flames there shining bright. Then did that gallant one perceive the monstrous woman of the sea, she-wolvish outlaw of the deep. To his warlike sword he lent a mighty force, nor did his hand hold back the blow. And on her head the weapon ring adorned sang out its lusting song of war. Soon did the invader learn that in battle Shining it would bite not there nor harm her life. Nay, that blade failed the prince at need, which aforetime had endured many a clash of blows. Oft times had cloven helm and harness of the doomed. This was the first venture for that dearly prized thing wherein its glory fell. Again he made on, no laggard in valor. Remembering his renowned deeds, the kinsman of Higelac, as he fought in ire, he cast away that blade with twisted ornament and curiously bound, and upon the earth it lay steel-edged and strong. He trusted in his strength, in the grasp of his own mighty hands. 
Such shall a man's faith be when he thinks to win enduring fame in war. No care for his life will trouble him. Then sees the prince of Geetish warriors, Grindel's mother by her locks, ruing not the cruel deed and his mortal foe he threw. For now he grim in war was filled with wrath, and she was bowed unto the floor. Again she swiftly answered him with, with like, and grappling cruelly she clutched at him, then stumbled desperate at heart, that warrior most strong, that champion of the host, and he in turn was thrown. Then did she bestride the invader of her hall, and drew her knife with broad and burnished blade. She thought to avenge her son and only child. Upon his shoulders hung the woven net of mail about his breast. This now his life defended, and withstood the entry of both point and edge. In that hour had the son of Egtheow, champion of the Geats, come to ill end beneath the widespread earth, had not his corslet, the stout net of rings, furnished him help in fight and fray. Their holy god did rule the victory in battle. The all-seeing lord who governeth the heavens on high with ease did give decision to the right, when Beowulf again sprang up. Lo! Among the war gear there he beheld a sword endowed with charms of victory, a blade gigantic, old, with edges stern, the pride of men of arms, the choicest of weapons that, albeit greater than any other man, might have borne unto the play of war a good and costly thing, the work of giants. Now he grasped its linked hilt, that champion of the Scowling's cause. In fierce mood and fell he flashed forth the ring-adorned blade. Despairing of his life with ire he smote, and on her neck it bitter seized, and shivered the bony joints. Through and through the sword pierced her body doomed. She sank upon the floor. The sword was wet. The knight rejoiced him in the deed. The flame flashed forth, light there blazed within, even as of heaven radiantly shines the candle of the sky. He gazed about that house, then turning went along the wall, grasping upraised that hard weapon by the hilt, in ire undaunted the knight of Higalak, that blade the warrior bold did not despise, nay, he thought now swiftly to requite Grindel for those many dire assaults that he had made upon the Western Danes, far oftener than that one last time, slaying in slumber the companions of Hrothgar's hearth, devouring as they slept fifteen of the people of the Danes, and others as many bearing forth away a plunder hideous, for that he had given him his reward that champion in his wrath, so that on his couch he saw now Grindel lying weary of war, bereft of life. Such hurt had erewhile in battle got at Hirorot. Far asunder sprang the corpse, when Grindel in death endured a stroke of hard sword fiercely swung. His head was cloven from him. Soon did the wise men, who about Hrothgar kept watch upon the deep, this sight behold, 
that the sea's confused waves were all mingled and were stained with blood. About their good lord, old men with graying hair then said with one accord that never again they hoped to see that noble knight, or that he would come in triumph and victory to see their king renowned. Of one mind in this were many then, that this she-wolf of the sea had broken him. Now came the ninth hour of the day. The gallant Skyldings forsook the headland. He from whom they had love and gifts of gold departed thence. The strangers sat sick at heart and gazed upon the mere. They wished and hoped not that they might see the dear form of their lord. In that hour the valiant sword began, after the hot blood of battle touched it, to drip away in fearful icicles. A thing of wonder that, for it melted all, most like unto ice when the father looseneth the bonds of frost and unlocks the enchained pools. Even he who hath the governance of seasons and of times, who is the steadfast designer of the world, in those abodes no more did the prince of the wind-loving geats take of the hoarded treasures, though many such he looked upon, save that head alone and the hilt too, all bright with gems, the sword had melted now away, and all its woven ornament was consumed, so hot that blood, so venomous was that alien creature that there had perished in the hall. Soon was he swimming swift, who had erewhile lived to see his enemies fall in war. Updived he through the water, the confused waves, those regions vast all were purged. Now that the alien creature had given up the days of life and this swift passing world, lo, to the land came swimming, dauntless of heart, the chieftain of seafaring men rejoicing in the plunder of the sea and the huge burden of the things he bore. Then the proud company of his knights went forth to meet him, giving thanks to God, welcoming their prince with joy that they might look upon him there unharmed. Swiftly then were loosed the helm and corslet from that valiant one. The waters of the lake lay dark and still beneath the clouds stained with deadly gore. Thence in heart rejoicing they measured with their marching feet the way across the land. The road well-known royal-hearted men from that cliff beside the deep, they bore the head, a weary task for each of those most brave, Four must on a spear shaft there with labor grievous carry to the golden hall the head of Grendel until anon they came striding thither, gallant, eager in arms, those fourteen geats, their liege lord with them, proudly among his company, trod the level ways about the hall of mead. Now in came striding that prince of knights, daring in deeds, honored with men's praise a mighty man of valor greeting Rothgar. Now Grindel's head by its locks was borne upon the hall's floor where men were drinking, hideous in the sight of men and of the lady in their midst, a marvelous thing to look upon with eyes. Men gazed thereon. Oh my God. Um, 
Welcome to Lost in the Maze number 16, the solo show only on the Billionaire Podcast Network. Ka-ching! Bing, 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 fill her up. That was uh, Beowulf versus 1351 through 1381 through 82. Let me see. 1381, 1382. Yeah, versus 951 through verses 1382. Uh, I was going to maybe try finishing this this week and uh, having read that just now, that was a lot to take in and that was difficult to read. This is a, uh, a, a poem that is a very very uh it's a poetic poem uh that you know you got to hit the words right you got to get the flow the pentameter uh and it's 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 difficult to read out loud that way and i think you know hey look i think i'm doing a good job here like if, if i'm being honest i think i'm uh having not read this in years and just picking it up and starting to read i think i'm i think i'm doing it I'm stumbling at some parts. I'm having trouble pronouncing some things, but I feel like, uh, you know, I'm I'm being I'm I'm hitting the I'm being very dramatic. Uh, I'm being very rhythmic, very poetic, and I'm I'm taking it seriously. Okay, I'm uh, letting the story flow through me, and, and um, reading it with the theatrics and flair uh, as one might have. In those days, when, when stories were were passed down uh, orat- oratorily, as as stories were once uh, disseminated uh, before everyone could read or had access to movable printed type, uh, reading being a recent revelation in uh, how we uh, disseminate and consume information. Um, but that, you know, the, the, the first section of the story that I read last week, uh, was, you know, the introduction to everybody, the the, the Danes, the Geats, Beowulf and his knights, Rothgar, all that, uh, stuff. And, and, and then the, the, uh, Grendel's assault on Hirorot, uh, and then Beowulf uh, wounding uh, Grendel, cutting his arm off. And then that is the uh, that section is the tale of, of Beowulf gathering the Geats, his knights with him, and then they go they, they travel the water to go to where uh, Grindel's mom is. She, now now Grindel's mom is upset, and, and uh, she has um, laid an assault on Herorot and, and uh, slain some some folks. And so now uh, Beowulf and his knights travel the waters to go to her hall and, and fight her. And it seems, you know, and it seems that she has some otherworldly supernatural strength or something uh, that renders Beowulf's uh, uh, magnificent sword. Uh, what was the what was the name of the sword? The sword had a had a cool name, um, something. I can't even. Remember. I just read it, and I can't even remember what was the name of that sword. Raytheon. 
Yeah, Beowulf's sword Raytheon, um, uh, uh, grunting. Yeah, the sword grunting. Yeah, she renders the sword useless, and so Beowulf has to has to you know throw hands with with uh, Grendel's mom. Um, and I like you know I like this uh, I like this part of the book. It's it's a tale of uh uh man versus man versus nature uh you know in, in primal uh uh physical hand-to-hand combat but also what's it what's interesting to know especially in all these talks of equality nowadays uh beowulf uh offers no hesitation in letting grindel's mom catch these hands uh, he does not uh, pay any mind to the fact that she is a lady, or nor does he consider her to be dainty or lesser than, or you know I you know I ain't gonna, he doesn't say I ain't gonna tussle with no women. He goes in there, and he fights. He's ready to fight Grindel's bitch mom, the same as he would any man. Okay, this was a time you know things change there's ebbs and flows over time this was a time when women were were respected and some were feared even as as warriors um and and so you know it just goes to show you that uh what we may perceive as antiquated modes of thought are actually recent uh uh adventions in the way we think about the world uh because it, it seems that in this story women are hold positions of great power and and are either respected or feared by people uh you know the the um there's the contrast the the sort of like diametrically opposed the the representations we see of women in this section where you got grindel's mom who is an evil bitch and then the um the the queen the the queen of herorot the the maiden who sits on the throne of Herat, uh, the other lady, and I don't remember her name. I don't, re- I don't really remember a lot of people's names as I'm reading this. I know, you know, you got Beowulf, and then you got Rothgar, uh, and yeah, I don't know. These are all very confu- confusing, uh, European ass Danish names, but I, you know, I get the spirit of the story. Like I understand, you know, there's one lady. Who, who's all flowy and wears nice gowns and is very regal <clears throat> makes a lot of big decisions and then you got this other this bitch mom across the water uh who lives in like a cave of some sort and, and just like takes care of her son sort of like the um you know you, you see this uh uh archetype I think is one word you see this sort of dynamic in, in many stories, you know, you said, uh, it's like what comes to mind off the dome. I'm thinking of true detective season one, right? You got, you, you've got the evil retard who has been abducting and killing children for many, many years. And then you got the, the Ann Dowd character that he lives with, who I think is either his mom. I think it's his mom or his some relative of his i if i remember right there's the big evil retard who has is effectively the grindel of true detective season one and then there's his like equally retarded mom and they have this really disgusting abhorrent incestuous relationship with one another 
and they and they live in just this like filthy hovel in the uh the the bayou and whatever parish that is in louisiana and so you know that's that's another um story in which you see this archetype and not only that you know i that that's just the story i thought of off the top was true detective season one but that story does follow a similar uh hero's journey it it, it does uh walk the same map that was uh cart cartographed charted by Beowulf. It, it it is a story of good and evil and heroes of renown venturing forth into the unknown to uh 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 make combat and um you know deliver us from this these tyrants this evil that has been plaguing the land for some time and in that story uh it is an incestuous developmentally disabled uh gentleman who is connected to some greater evil uh, which, you know, as we see in Beowulf, Grindel is much the same, uh, being a descendant of Cain, uh, whereas in, in True Detective Season 1, the evil retard landscaper who also abducts children is a descendant of some Epstein-esque, fucked up, like, interconnected, powerful family, and he's just this... Uh, on the lower rung of that cast aside and, and, and by kinship protected by uh, the powers that be and, and what have you. Uh, but is, is this sort of like mutated foul thing that many uh, would rather avert their eyes from uh, as is his, uh, the relative he lives with his mother and Dowd. And so it's up to uh, Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey, uh, the, you know, the sort of, uh, I, I suppose, uh, Beowulf and Rothgar of that story to uh, venture forth at the behest of, uh, the, you know, what would be the hero of that story, their, their local police department, to solve this case, these abductions and murders that are happening. Uh, and uh, in doing so, they find no purchase and, and uh, are only able to um, slay the, you know, the lesser than enemies that are available to them uh, at, at that point in time. And they have to, uh, to cover it up and make it look like something else happened. So it didn't, nobody would know that the, the real reality was that they went in their guns blazing and kind of the, uh, you know, with, with disregard to any sort of police protocol or procedure. Um, but, you know, as, as far as the hero's journey goes in that story, many, many years later, it's, you know, it's time to, it's time to dust off the, uh, the, the you know, all the detective, the police, you know, the swords as it were, their guns and, and, and equipment armaments and raiments and, and go looking for their Grindel again and Grindel's mother. And, uh, and you know, if, if you remember, right, you know, they, they go find it. So it's like, I, okay. I, I think what I'm getting at, what I'm trying to get at, uh, 
because I I'm I'm getting lost in talking about that. I don't I have no idea what the point is I'm trying to make because I I just thought of that season of television uh just out of nowhere uh after reading this but I think it's apt okay I think it's apt because even in the most um obscure surrealist uh avant-garde type stories which I I don't know if you would call that uh, season of television avant-garde but for the average American t- uh, television enjoyer, it, it's certainly uh, off the beaten path. It's certainly something different. And I think confusing for many uh, as it was airing and, and um, you know, challenging as a text. But uh, there is a structure to storytelling. There, There is a sort of uh uh inherited blueprint to storytelling that begins or rather <clears throat> maybe not begins but is certainly better charted uh we get a better idea of how story works through beowulf you know one of the original grand epic fantasy uh adventure you know good versus evil hero versus fiend and foe type stories uh that that is you know very um you know we it's 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 very comprehensible and and it uh, you know we understand it you know that there's uh just everything you know we know we understand that we understand guys in big bright shining armor and chain mail and swords and shields fighting monsters and and then with a story like that you know, true detective, it's like, you know, you're bouncing back and forth between timelines. There's these gray areas that all the characters exist in. There's the moral ambiguity. Uh, you know, it's it's like there's good and evil, but then everybody exists in between those two, you know, on that spectrum. They exist somewhere within it. And, and uh, you know, if, if you have a mind about you, if, if you're closer to the good side or have your some sort of moral compass you're, you're always in dealing with this sort of internal battle uh this battle within yourself uh, against your own you know uh y- you have this like battle of good and evil within yourself that you're dealing with that and and making some attempt to remain on on the path that is true um but at the end of the day you watch that show and if if you were to strip away all of the uh, obfuscations and uh, liter like just literary devices that are used in uh, movie magic, you know Hollywood magic that's in it, and, and uh, you, all this stuff. What, what do you have? Well, I mean, what do you have with that at the end of the day? You got you got two you got two warriors, two knights, a couple of cops. Who are lo- who are looking for who are looking for the evil that's out there to looking to slay. This this evil, uh, you, you, you know, beast, this descendant of Cain, uh, because what what is a descendant of Cain if not a m- murderer? Uh, Cain being the first murderer. Um, so I think you know I I think that's why uh, I am it, you know interested in uh, this story Beowulf. And that's why I'm interested in, you know, I think storytelling 
uh though it may be subjective it may be an art form and there is a abstract quality to it there there's this sort of ethereal quality to uh creating a story out of nothing to just sit there with your thoughts and think of something cool to write down there's a structure to it there's something in us that we discover there's in the in the way we are and interact with the world uh and perceive it uh there there's just something there by which we extracted what stories uh were and, and are and are, are going to be and so at the, at the heart of every story uh you, you will find s some elements you'll, you'll find the the um ingredients that uh you, you know exist with within these early early texts that, that sort of like set the uh you know set the template for what's what storytelling is you know that there's always going to be um this the like conflict this struggle between uh man and either you know i mean they teach you this in elementary school when you take your first english classes where they say it's like man versus nature man versus man man versus himself boom right there that's a bare bone. That's a skeleton of storytelling, right there. You pick one of those, you got you a story. Got you, you got you, you got you a story cooking in, in the oven. If you pick, or you can pick multiple. You can mix them up, whatever you want to do. Um, but there, yeah, there's definitely like, as there is a um, a DNA within all of us. There's this coding, this this story that our inhabits our own like cellular structure that tells our bodies like how to operate there's a i think there's a dna within the story itself that you know and, and i think that i you know i i uh lament the unwillingness now of many people to engage with uh media and literature in, in more meaningful ways there is a lack of media literacy that um i think people are more drawn and it's no one's fault like i'm not like, I, I i'm not one of those guys who uh thinks that the people are wrong or whatever it's it's just the way things are are you know are going you know this is the environment we're all in but i think i think people have always been tent tend to be more drawn to uh just spectacle and not having when presented with a text or a movie a tv show or whatever it may be uh you know they they want something they can just like uh, kind of t turn the turn the dial down on their brains and, and just understand and that's fair and i love that kind of stuff i love really simple uh dumb not even dumb but just just like simple stripped down things you know like I'll, I'll watch a marvel movie i don't care uh they're they're all kind of the same thing and there's nothing at stake and uh i'm not doing a lot of thinking during a marvel movie but there's not there's not there's no ambiguity there's there's certainly no moral gray areas it's just a very uh simple you know story structure where it's like well here's the good guy here's the bad guy 
And uh, don't worry, the good guy is definitely going to win because uh, his name is is in the title of the movie. So, you know, more often than not, if the name of the protagonist is in the title of the movie, uh, they probably will come out on top. Some, you know, sometimes that's not the case, but I I would venture a guess that, you know, if you're going to go see a movie called Spider-Man, Spider-Man probably wins. Um, but, you know, with, with other thing with other uh, pieces of media that are out there that re- require more uh, focus and engagement that may be uh, a little more challenging... Uh, it seems like people are unwilling to engage with them, and they they use these words like, "Oh, this is random," or "This is confusing," or "This is surreal," or "abstract," or whatever it is. But I would argue that even though uh, you know who, whomever is creating these things, um, it, you know, as as they're putting their own little artistic twist on on this thing they're making that the the dna of that story is this it's the same dna as any story that if you, if you strip away all of the um y- y- you know artistic you know the the artistic liberties they're taking and and literary devices they're using and all, like all that kind of stuff at the heart of of that story uh, and it, the same is at the heart of a Marvel movie, like whatever, whatever the whatever the thing is, uh, it's the same DNA, and, and it goes back to you know, you could trade if you if you got into like an Assassin's Creed, whatever the Assassin's Creed machine is, to to go back to to when the original stories were being made, like if you got you know what I mean, you could trace like everything that's being created now all the way back to uh beowulf and uh uh, the epic of gilgamesh and and the thing the books of the bible the books of the quran like all these things you know all share a uh a dna some sort of um inheritance uh within them so you know whether it's you know whether it's Beowulf or True Detective season one, or uh, Spider Man, uh, No Way Home, which I uh, did not really care for, um, or 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 Spider Man, uh, the Spider Verse movies, which I also don't care about. That um, I guess they're fun. Uh, but, uh, I think, I think people are just really annoying about them. Uh, I guess the animation looks cool, but I don't, you know, I find the, um, pluckiness of the protagonist, Miles Morales, to be grating. Uh, I, uh, don't, I don't care for that character that much. Uh, and it's not because he's biracial. It's just because he's an annoying, precocious teenager uh, to which I I have nothing in common. And and, uh, I find him to to be um, a a much more uh, 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 
uh, grating figure than the nerdy, uh, submissive Peter Parker as a teenager. I didn't, you know, there, I don't like. You know, it, it's not endearing to me that okay, so he's a cool black guy in New York who has friends. And he's dealing with all the same trappings of puberty as anyone. Like, he's kind of awkward, but he's extremely smart. He's going to get a bunch of scholarships. People seem to like him. Uh, he doesn't really get bullied. Uh, and he's got a cool uncle telling him how to get pussy. And then it's like, oh, and also he gets superpowers. Like, well, okay, well, so it's, it's just the coolest guy of all time. Now, now, you, you know, now it's like, what if you took well, a cool black guy with Spider-Man powers? The, I, there's no, I, there's nothing relatable or endearing about that to me. Whereas, whereas like with Peter Parker, and it, like I hate, I feel like such an idiot trying to make this argument, like talk about this kind of thing, because the, you just end up sounding racist, which I guess is like the ploy on Marvel's part where it's like, let, let's, let's create the coolest black guy of all time. And then any criticism toward that it, you know, people can just immediately decry racism it's like no no peter parker as a teenager was a fucking dork and who had no friends he's getting no pussy he's getting bullied his life sucks and then getting bit by this radioactive spider it, it is the thing that turns it all it turns everything around for him now he has a, now he has a chance in the world because were it not for that he'd probably go on to be a decent scientist and probably like do well in that field, but still get no pussy and get and get no respect and be a submissive little dweeb his whole life. But now he has superpowers, so he starts cracking wise and, and being a little smart ass and, and sticking up for himself. It was like Miles Morales prior to the spider bite, he had no problem sticking up for himself. He was a fucking graffiti artist. He 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 was adventurous and had it was just like a cool black guy. I like the, the, it's, it's just it, it's a, I don't find that character endearing in that way. You know what I mean? And, and he is he's, it's like he has a loving family. He's like a cool, cool black dad, cool fucking Puerto Rican mom. There's like there's nothing uh, perceivably bad or, or meager about his life. It's just he's just like a cool black kid who also gets superpowers. Like okay, I guess that's interesting. Um. But and, you know, beyond that, you know, I just I just find all the characters in those movies annoying, uh, and, and too very bubblegummy. You know, just too too plucky and perky and um, whatever. It's for children anyway. I mean that it, that's for children. Not like Be Beowulf is for for fucking adults. I'll tell you that goddamn much. Yeah. It's ridiculous of me to to sit here and like complain about children. I mean, they are literally cartoons. So I mean, they're they're for children. Um, I'm just lo looking at it from like uh like a character stand. Like, a, a, what is this character? What's his development and all that? And it's like, well, I already can't relate to a cool black guy, and now I definitely can't relate to a cool black guy with superpowers. Um. It, it, who you know who's really smart and also like good at graf good at art good at graffiti and like kind of good at music it's like what the most well-rounded fucking person of all time also gets superpowers i mean good job what a, what a fucking dynamic character you've created um anyway <laughs> 
the, the the point the point being the point being that the the those stories still have that you know have that DNA within them. They have that uh the the sort of like uh innate ethereal cultural historic inherit you know they've inherited the um the yeah the the DNA of storytelling um which is you know it's it's not like i i think to contextualize story in this way i i think is it it's a good i think it's a good way to think about it because it provides a uh you know almost like an ikea uh manual for if one wanted to try and write a story that he, if he, even as just like you know you don't have to have like the aspirations or ambitions to become the next Stephen King or whoever it may be, even if it was just something you wanted to try on your own, uh, you don't have to be the best at it, at it. You don't have to necessarily know where it's going or what you're doing, but I think to understand that there is a, uh, a blueprint for this, a formula that just exists within the like genetic code of story itself uh that, that you can like learn like you you can learn the the sort of you know the it, it like look at the manual and, and like piece this uh bork and bork in bed together like if, that you got from ikea you do that with the same with the story um it takes this uh very abstract ethereal concept that being uh creation and, and storytelling and writing and but and uh, strips away all that frou-frou-ness that people get too hung up on. You know, they're like, where do you get your ideas from or whatever? It strips all that away. And then you can see now you're, now you're looking at the manual. And then from there you build and build on top of that and, and uh, um, create something new, but, you know, drawing from that, which is that, which already exists, uh, you know, because I mean, at the end of the day, it is like, you are you you know you have to steal from everything else so like all these other things exist and then you you take from them and, and piece together something else and and now it's this like mutation you know what does darwin say the ge genetic variation and uh survival and all that you know things mutate as they evolve over time so now it's like this mute this new mutation that exists this this singular new thing that may or may not, um, you know, become become a prominent uh, um, part of uh, of the 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 cellular structure of storytelling, or it may just be something you did as a hobby on your own or whatever. I don't know. I just think that um, I I guess in my studies of scripture that I've been doing and, and reading Beowulf and things like this. Uh, I, I think it, I think what I'm looking for, or I, I think just something I'm trying to find out is like how much of, how much of art and creation and these things that we would consider, uh, inaccessible to many of us, how much of it is actually just really accessible? You know what I mean? Like, how much of it just exists inside of us? And if, if we uh, 
have the willingness to access it the, like can we uh then like unlock those abilities to in turn uh create something in our own lives you know and i i think that's what we learn from from engaging with story with narrative in a, in a more meaningful way than taking an edible and watching the new doctor strange movie um you know if that makes any sense anyway i hope you enjoy i hope you, folks i hope you're enjoying this reading series uh that that was uh verses uh 951 through 1382 of the J.R.R. Tolkien translation of Beowulf uh this has been lost in the maze number 16 only on the billionaire podcast network ching bing 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 did did he fill her up a subsidiary of corn fed industries folks if you will head on over to the patreon patreon.com slash corn fed with dalton pruitt and subscribe there we have a five dollar tier we have a ten dollar tier we have a fifteen dollar tier we have a twenty five dollar tier i never really promote this other one we there's a thirty five dollar tier that gets that gets you access to everything else uh plus my feet picks uh, but the, you know, for as little as $5 a month, uh, you get access to all the premium episodes and bonus content, $10 a month, you get a shout out on the show, $15 a month, you get all that, plus a kiss on the lips. Um, but, and then for $25 a month, you get everything, plus the Fraternal Order of Corn Fed decal, which you'll receive after three months of being subscribed. So it is $75 for a sticker. However... Once you subscribe to the $25 tier, you are welcome to message me a list of your enemies, and I will call for a jihad upon them on the show. And also, once you receive the decal, you're welcome to uh, be a guest on the show. We'll we'll uh, we'll patch you in, we'll zoom you in, and then we'll we'll do a full hang with you. Okay. You know, we're not we're not concerned with glitz and glamour, fame and fortune, celebrity. You know, what stories do they have to tell? You know, life on the road, hotels, talking to this famous person and that famous person, blah, blah, just boring, 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 boring industry inside baseball, talking the craft of whatever bullshit they do conversations. No, you get that you get that decal. We're talking to you. We're going through your entire sordid past or whatever you're comfortable talking about if you want to be on the show. But we're gonna we're gonna get we'll get into, you know, you work at a 7-Eleven, what's that like? And we'll go through the the nitty-gritty, the finer details of a career as a clerk in a 7-Eleven. Or perhaps uh you're uh, 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 an airplane mechanic, you know, whatever there's so many jobs out there and so much of uh, the world of media and podcasts is focused on uh, only those in entertainment, uh, which is boring uh, to uh, talk about all the time because it's just the same thing over and over again. It's like, you know, uh, I, I do this and that and go, go to this club and that club or work on this TV show and that movie and writer's rooms and blah, blah, blah. No, I want to hear what it's like to uh, clean a septic tank 
for a living or, or uh, uh, scrape roadkill off the, uh, the the asphalt if you're in it work for animal control or something like that you know straight from the straight from the horse's mouth from the mouths of babes you know not not some tv show about this job that was written by ivy league graduates in a writer's room no we're talking to we're, we, you get that you get that sticker we're gonna talk to you okay uh and, and do and really do it nice um anyway uh so uh, let's see we there's there's uh yeah there's more beowulf left we'll continue this we'll continue this uh next week maybe i'll finish maybe not but the show is free anyway thank you uh i love you and uh good good goodbye Oh,